I want to share to you today the love that Jesus has for us. I'll read a verse out of Matthew 5, beginning at verse 45. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I want to share with you today one account that we have in Scripture of the amazing love of Jesus, that it has no bounds and it has no limits. I'll begin reading from Jonah, chapter 2, from verse 6. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, you remembered, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Many of us know about the story of Jonah that the Lord had told him to go and preach to the city of Nineveh that was considered a wicked city and urged them to repent. But Jonah, in his heart, was not willing to do such a thing because he thought, if he goes, and as he says, and if he preaches, they'll repent and God will have mercy. And in his heart, he felt that they were a wicked people, And they had done wrong by the children of Israel. They were their foe. And as an Israelite, how could he show mercy on a nation that did not show mercy and love to his people? And in his heart, he wanted God to bring judgment on them and judge them for all the wrong that they had done to his people. But how can God send him to preach repentance and to give them a time to weep and to come and to make things right? How can God give them 40 days? Why was he not going to bring swift judgment? All of us have walked that path. When someone has wronged us, when something doesn't go right, we want God to come in his justice. And change things. Deal with someone. Bring swift judgment. But yet Jesus comes. And in his great love and mercy, he's calling even those that we consider our foes, that are utterly wicked in our sight and God's sight, to repent. And his heart is, yes, for the lost. And so the question that we are faced with as individuals, as head of households, as residents and citizens of a nation called America, 
and as Christians walking before God, will we be like Jonah and say, Lord, how can I go with such grace, love, and mercy and proclaim a gospel of light to those who have caused such hurt and pain? But yet, yeah, this is the love of Jesus. And Jesus himself says that his Father sends the rain on the righteous as well as on the unrighteous, that the sun shines on both, because his heart is that all of us would not perish. And I can't imagine how grieved the heart of Jesus is right now as he looks across America and sees the wickedness Yes, some of us have been deceived, but then there are some that have walked in such rebellion. And we can name, we can name many that we know that are close to us, that are in politics. But I want to tell you that God's heart grieves in knowing that there will be a day when he will have to cast those men and women into hell. But right now, His heart is to save. And you and I must not cling to things that cause our heart to be hard, where we turn away from the love that Jesus has shed abroad in our hearts, or we turn away from his mercy that he has shown unto us. For you see, there was a day when you and I, when we were delivered from the jailer, from going and paying more than double for our sin. But Jesus had mercy on me, and he had mercy on you. How can we not show mercy to another? And that is an idol that we should not cling to. That's empty, without hope, no salvation. But I remind you today, if we must repent, let us repent, but let us move forward in what the Lord has said to us and be like Jonah. Lord, I will now pay my vow and I will do what you have commanded me to do. And we know what the end looked like for the city of Nineveh, that wicked city, that it was saved. And that was God's doing. Because he was able to multiply the work of love and mercy in the heart of Jonah. And then by extension to a city, to a nation. And he can do that today through you, through your family, and in America. I welcome you today into the heart of Jesus. A heart that's full of mercy and love. And I ask you today to covenant with me that you will not cling to bitterness, hardness of heart, and saying, no, Lord, I will not have mercy, but in saying, yes, Lord, I will love. The message today, oh God, awaken my heart. Oh God, awaken my heart.
Let's pray. Lord, I come asking that you would awaken my heart, awaken our hearts. Let us see with the eyes of heaven. Let us see the reality of life and death and know what is before us. Give us the ability and the interest in the decision that must be made regarding our future. Lord, I thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. In 1678, a book was published. It is considered the number one allegory in the English language. It is recognized as the premier piece of literature in English. For many years, this book has been quoted from pulpit after pulpit. Barely a sermon in the past was preached without reference to Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan wrote this book as he sat in the prison cell for six years because he would not stop preaching the gospel of Jesus. They released him for a short time and said, if you will stop preaching, we will allow you to remain with your family. Because of his imprisonments, his wife died. The Lord gave him another wife, and he began preaching again. And they sent him back to prison for another six years. This time, he knew he had to support his wife and his children or they would starve to death. And so, in the prison house, he began to weave shoelaces, a long and tedious task. He would give them to his wife as she came to visit, and she would go and sell the shoelaces, and that's how the family put food on the table. He was by trade a tinker. Sounds interesting, but utterly filthy, dirty, hard work. He would go to homes and ask if they had any pots or pans that had been cracked or burned out on the fire. And he would then repair them. He would smelt them. He would do whatever was necessary to repair that pot because they could not afford to buy a new pan. And in the prison house, there was a window with bars. He would open that window, and his congregation would gather outside the window, and he would preach to them. (laughs) I'm going to read for you a part of Pilgrim's Progress, the introduction. Now, please... Many of you are more interested in the party than you are in Jesus. Let's be honest. You're more interested in your entertainment than you are Jesus. Let's be honest. 
You'd rather sit and talk with friends than sit and talk with Jesus. All of this has to change. What I treasure about this book is that it cuts right to the heart. And it says, look, wake up. Make clean and clear decisions. Don't drift. Choose this day whom you will serve. Your eternity is at stake. He opens, as I walked through the wilderness of this world, I came to a certain place where there was a cave. And of course, the cave was his prison cell. And I lay down in that place to sleep. As I slept, I dreamed a dream. And in this dream, I saw a man clothed in rags, standing in a place with his face turned away from his own house. He had a book in his hand and a heavy burden upon his back. I looked and saw him open the book and begin to read. And as he read, he wept and trembled. Not being able to contain himself, he cried out in a loud voice, What shall I do? In this condition, he went home, and he tried to keep to himself as long as he could so that his wife and children would not see him in distress. But after a short time, his anguish had increased so much that he could not remain silent. So he began to share with his wife and his children what was on his troubled mind. And this is what they told him. This is what he told them. Dear wife and children, I am greatly troubled by this burden that torments me and grows and weighs so heavy upon me. Moreover, I have received information that the city in which we live will be burned with fire from heaven. When this happens, all of us will be destroyed unless by a way I do not yet see some way of escape can be found so that we may be delivered. Hearing this, his family was greatly amazed, not because they believed what he said to them was true, but because they thought he was losing his mind. So as the evening approached, hoping that sleep might settle his mind, they sent him to bed. But the night was so troublesome to him Instead of sleeping, he spent the night in sighs and tears. So when morning came, his family came to find how he was doing. And he said, worse and worse. He started speaking to them again about his fears and concerns. What are his fears and his concerns? Very simply, he saw the utter reality that there is but two choices. Life or death? There are but two choices. We either walk in Jesus Christ or we walk in Satan. There is no middle ground. Friday night, I said to the group that was in my home, some 20 people, I said to them, 
according to the scripture, half of you in this room will go to hell. That's the parable in the 25th chapter of Matthew. Five wise and five foolish virgins. Half shut out of the kingdom of God, half brought in. I said to them, half of you will go to hell and half will enter into heaven. And I watched people's faces. Nobody objected. Nobody was alarmed. No one was concerned. No one challenged what I just said. No one said, but wait, pastor, I don't want to go to hell. Everybody was comfortable on the couch. Everybody had food to eat. The chicken was wonderful. The sandwiches were awesome. People were full bellies, happy, chatting. Why should they be alarmed at what I just said? Talking with one of you later, I recognized that I'd made a serious mistake. I should have gone around the circle and to every person said, If Jesus comes tonight, are you going to go to hell or heaven based on the reality of your actions and your thoughts? Have you made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ and are you doing it? Or have you compromised with the world? And then a couple of people who were there slipped out to go to a birthday party. And my heart was crushed. I said, what? A party over Jesus? Come on. What are we doing here? It's the unconsciousness. It's the, it's the comfortable American lifestyle. We don't believe that we're going to face the judge. We don't believe that life and death is really what we're dealing with here. We think life is going to continue as it is now. I'm always going to be young. I'm always going to be healthy. I'm always going to have my car to drive. I'm always going to have my entertainment. I'm I'm never going to let go of my cell phone. Have you tried to call God on your cell phone? Have you dialed God? Have you tried to find God's web page? Did he show you pictures of elephants? Did he entertain you on the web? No. These very things that consume us are not the things that will bring us into Jesus Christ. These are the things that bring us into death. There's a passage of scripture I want to quickly read for you. I was shocked by it. It's in the book of Ephesians in the fifth chapter. And I urge you, read carefully the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. I'm going to be preaching this week out of this on the radio. But I want to read for you one particular verse. It's verse 18. This is Ephesians 5, verse 18. Listen to what it says. And you must not become drunk with wine, in which it is unsaving. Sozo means to save. 
and the prefix is un. Unsaving. So he's saying, look, there are things in your life that you can do now that are unsaving to your soul. There are things you can look at that are unsaving to your soul. How are they unsaving? Because they influence you and cause you to lose your sense of reality and your sense of balance. They cause you to become passive in your willpower, so you choose the things of darkness instead of the things of Jesus. They are unsaving to you. And they can be anything that you go to for your comfort. They're unsaving. See, I'm not willing to compromise anymore in any area. I don't want to be doing things that are unsaving to me. I want to do things that are saving. I don't want to look at things. I don't want to taste things. I don't want to pick up things that will cause me to be unable to function in a voluntary way in the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Do you understand, please? Your salvation, yes, it is dependent on Jesus Christ, but it is equally dependent upon your ability to make a positive decision to serve Jesus Christ. The provision for your salvation is there, but if you would rather spend your time doing something else, you will fritter your life away and you will come to the end and you will be unsaved because those things that you loved tore you away from making the decision that would affect your salvation. It could be a friendship with another person. It could be even an intimate relationship with another person. It could be your love for cars or motorcycles, your love for money. It identifies in this chapter in Ephesians an inordinate desire for money. What's he saying? Is he saying wanting money is evil? No. An inordinate desire, a desire to establish my own kingdom my own power outside of Jesus Christ. These are all unsaving things that blind us and make us unable to make honest choices and decisions. And if you allow yourself to be blinded so you can't make a decision for Jesus, you will be lost. That's why Jesus said half of the Half of the church is going to be lost. Not because they don't know the gospel, but because they chose the unsaving things over Jesus Christ. This man, Christian, is reading the scripture and he's taking it literally. His family becomes cold toward him. 
They try to change his outlook by treating him rudely. Sometimes they would deride him, saying something that would chide him. And most of the time, they just ignored him, trying to force his feelings to align with their belief instead of the certainty that he must follow Jesus. So he began retiring to his bedroom to pray for them and to pity them and also to find consolation for his own misery. He would often walk alone in the field, sometimes reading, sometimes praying. And for a long time, this is how he spent his days. Please hear what I'm saying to you. If you do not cultivate conviction in your heart, Satan will come and rip that conviction away from you, and you will be unsaved. One day, he says, I saw a man walking in the fields. Christian burst out and began to cry. And he said to the man, what shall I do to be saved? The man's name was Evangelist. He came up to him and he said, why are you crying out? He answered, sir, I understand from reading the book in my hand that I am condemned to die and after that to come to judgment. I am not willing to do the first nor able to do the second. Then evangelists ask, why are you not willing to die since this life is attended with so many evils? The man answered, because I am afraid that this burden that is on my back will sink me lower than the grave and I shall fall into hell. And sir, continued the man, if I am not ready to die, then I am not prepared to go to judgment and from there to execution. Thinking about these things distresses me greatly. Then Evangelist said, if this is your condition, why are you standing still? The man responded, because I don't know where to go. Then Evangelist gave him a parchment and unrolled it so that the man could read, flee from the wrath to come. When he'd read it, the man looked at Evangelist very carefully and he said, which way do I run? Then Evangelist, pointing with his finger to a very wide field, asked, do you see that narrow gate? No, the man replied. Then Evangelist asked, do you see that distant shining light? I think I do, the man answered. Keep the light in your eye, said the evangelist, and go up directly toward it. And soon you will see the narrow gate. And when you finally come to the gate, knock and you will be told what to do. So I saw in my dream that the man began to run. See, if I, if I live under the illusion that I'm okay. I live under the illusion that life is about my enjoyment. If I live under the illusion that 
everything's going to work out all right, then I'm never going to cry out. And I'm never going to go to the narrow gate. Many will go to hell who know a great deal about Jesus. They have all the theology in their head. But they never went to the narrow path. They never went to the narrow door. They always collected information. But did you know the devil has all the information? But he never went to the narrow path. He never chose to walk in obedience to God. He always chose the way of darkness and the way of rebellion. So I saw in my dream that the man began to run. I want to be with a congregation of people who are running. I want to be in a people who are on their way either down that narrow path or to that narrow gate. He'd not run very far from his home when his wife and his children, realizing what was happening, cried after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, Life, life, eternal life. So without looking back, he fled toward the middle of the valley. Do you know how many of my family and friends have said to me, Ray, you're insane. You've gone crazy with Jesus. Relax. Let it go. You don't have to do that. Never forget the day the Lord said to me, all the furniture in this house you bought, it came from what you earned. So he said to me, give it all away. I had a house full of furniture. He said, give it all away. I said, Lord, who do I give it to? He gave me the name of a man that I knew who was very poor and had a family and had no furniture in their house. Kids were all sleeping on the carpet in their bedrooms. I called him and I said, get a moving van and come to my house. Why? Because I have some furniture for you. He got a van, he came to my house, and we loaded every stick of furniture in my house into that van. And for the next six months, my wife and I slept on the floor. Everything was gone. And we cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered our cry. And now every stick of furniture that's in my house came from the hand of Jesus. Now, I'm not telling you you should give away all your furniture. I'm telling you, do what Jesus tells you to do and follow him. No matter what it is, follow him. Goes on. The man was a great distance away, but obstinate and pliable were determined to pursue him which they did, and soon they caught up with him. And he asked them, what have you run after me for? And the neighbors answered, to persuade you to go back with us. If you make a decision to go to that narrow path and follow Jesus, relationships in your life will break. 
people will say, you're crazy, you've gone crazy. They will say to you, this is not reasonable. They will do all they can to hinder you from following Jesus. And some of you are going to try to follow Jesus and keep the world as well. I'm here to tell you it won't work. Cut it loose. Follow Jesus. Love your family. But don't let them tell you or dissuade you from following Jesus. And the passage of Scripture I want you to look with me at is found in Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 13. This is what Bunyan was basing what he wrote in Pilgrim's Progress on. You must enter in through the narrow gate. Literally, you must enter in through the agonizing gate. You cannot follow Jesus and not enter in through that agonizing gate. Why is it agonizing? Because it is so narrow. You can't take the world with you. I've noticed something this week. It's very troubling to me as I've talked with different ones of you. You're very pleasant, very happy, until we reach a certain part of the conversation where you think in some way your rights are being infringed on by another person. And then your countenance changes. And you want what is due you. You want the respect that is due you. You want the power that is due you. You want to be able to be in charge. That hard edge has to go to the cross. The judgments of our heart are the unsaving of our souls. The criticism of God is the unsaving of our soul. The bitterness and anger that rises up when we think we've been crossed is the unsaving of our soul. See, most of that which is unsaving for us is not found in the external world. It's found in our hearts. And it's called pride. I'll do what I want to do. If I want to follow Jesus, Pastor, I'll follow him. I'm going to follow him my way. No, that's not what the word says. It says, enter through the narrow gate. You have to be awake to thread the needle on the narrow gate. There has to be a, a rising up of hunger in your heart that says, I want Jesus. I have to be willing to pay the price of having others scorn me for my decision to follow Jesus. This is not some walk in the park. This is real. And if we salve our pain 
with the unsaving things of this world and our own pride and our own arrogance and our own rightness so that we'll do battle at the drop of a hat. We're unsaving our souls. We're embittering our spirits. We must enter in through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way leading into destruction. And many are the ones entering through it. How narrow, how narrow, how suffering is the gate and restricted in the way that leads into life. And the ones finding it are few. Jesus was asked the question. Jesus was asked the question by a man who'd been listening to him preach for some time. In Luke, the 13th chapter. Lord, are the ones being saved few? And Jesus answered, You must be straining every nerve to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. I would ask you today, what are you straining over? Are you straining over getting some physical desire or some goal that you have in this world? Or are you straining over this issue of eternal life? It is the greatest gift that a man or woman can receive to be brought into fellowship with Jesus Christ, to walk in his love, to to walk in his covering power. There's nothing worth more than Jesus. He's everything. You must be striving every nerve to enter through the narrow gate. Verse 25. From the time the master of the house may be roused up and may shut the door, You may begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open it for us. Have you ever been roused up in the night? I've on hot nights sometimes left my door open and my windows open. And then in the middle of the night, be awakened by something. Be roused up and think, oh, it's cool in here. I better go shut the door. That's the picture here, that suddenly, without you having anything to do with it, God will rouse himself, and he'll get up, and he'll go shut the door. And he's saying that if you're outside, and you come and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and have, having answered, he will say to you, I don't recognize you. Where are you from? And then you'll begin to say, 
Well, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't recognize you. Where are you from? You must depart from me, all workers of unrighteousness. Today, if you're walking in uncleanness, if you're walking in the way of the world, you still have the God-given grace to enter into that door because it's not closed today. But the day will come when it will close. And you don't know when it will close. But you may come and say, okay, Lord, I'm ready now. And he'll say, I don't know you. You're still walking in unrighteousness. You've never turned from your sin. I don't know you. Leave. It says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, if you're in that day, in that place, and the day of salvation closes with you on the outside, you will consciously be aware that you have been shut out of heaven, and it's over. This is not going to be an unconscious deal. You are now making today conscious decisions about whether you will seek after Jesus. And if you do not, the day will come when the door will close and you will not find Jesus. Because you refuse to walk in righteousness and do what you know is right. The price was too high. You said, I can't lose that friendship. I can't lose that influence. I must have that job. I can't. What will you give for Jesus? Will you give your soul to win the world and lose Jesus? I ask today, Are there any of you here today who are willing to make a decision? You know you've walked in sin. You know you've walked unclean before God. Perhaps even this week. And you've never adhered and kept a decision that says, okay, I'm awake. I know what my condition is. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm now going to use every ounce of my energy to enter into the narrow gate. Is there anyone here today who's in that place and you'd like to come? And publicly say, I will follow Jesus. And I will leave my sin. This is not a private matter. It's a public matter. There is salvation only found in the church. Not in the institution, not in the organization. But in the body of people that are called out of darkness into the light. If you're being called out of the darkness right now, I don't know the darkness of your heart, but if you're being called out of the darkness right now, 
Will you come and stand and let me pray for you? Is there anyone else? You know you're being called out of the darkness into the light. Will you come into the light? Will you follow Jesus? I'm going to give you time. The Holy Spirit is is waiting. Will you follow Jesus? Are you ready today to say, yes, Lord, it may cost me everything, but I will follow you, Jesus, and I will lay down my life and I will follow you. Is there anyone else who needs to come? Lord Jesus. Some have come forward with a reserve in their heart saying, okay, I'll do this to keep somebody happy. Lord, let that not be true today. Lord, by coming forward, these precious ones have given you permission to deal with their heart all the way to the bottom. I'm asking whatever you need to do, claim each one for your kingdom. Kicking and screaming maybe, but claim them, Jesus. Bringing whatever love and mercy, discipline, whatever you need to bring into their hearts, would you bring that now? Lord, let the decision be a final decision. I will follow Jesus. And Lord, don't let anyone leave this house and go back to sleep. And go back to the unsaving behaviors. Lord, thank you. I glorify your name today and I thank you for each one of these precious ones that has come forward. And I pray for those who are in the valley of decision who do not yet have the courage to come, but will because you're calling them. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.